This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and join us. The Copper Pig Brewery in Lancaster, New Hampshire, is brewing traditional and innovative high-quality beers, as well as serving a large menu of creative comfort foods appealing to all walks of life, with daily specials sourcing many ingredients locally. Charitable involvement and support of their community is the cornerstone to the Copper Pig Brewery's mission. Voted number one in New Hampshire by WMUR Viewer's Choice two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. Please join me at the Copper Pig. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Episode 46, Part 2. Matt Holmes, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Part two is, is going to be part two with Matt Holmes and Bob Mancini, but we start off this podcast rolling in with Matt Holmes telling a few more stories, and then we roll into a crash that he was involved with this summer yeah. where a UTV hit him while he was on a stop. 
and I put Matt out for a couple months. It was a scary time for everybody for a little bit until Matt became stable. And you're going to hear Matt tell the story, but you're going to hear the officer that was there working with him, Bob Mancini, tell the story. And what I did, John, is I, I cut Bob's uh, interview into Matt's. So you hear Matt tell the story, then you hear Bob tell his portion. And I set the time frame up as they told it kind of together, but from different perspectives. And I know you and I have been nice. there when other officers have been hurt or something. And it is, it, it's a challenge. You're not, you're not thinking a lot. Uh, Bob, well, you are thinking a lot, actually. And Bob Mancini had the film crew, actually, with him from Northwoods Law Filming. What everybody, what you're going to hear is everybody's going to get a chance to see on a future episode of Northwoods Law. So if you can hear it, then see it. I think it's going to be a dynamic thing. But all the things that go through your head when another officer is injured in the line of duty and to be that support officer is uh, pretty dang stressful. Uh, it's incredibly stressful, Wayne, and um, it's so cool that you were able to get some audio engineering because it's the first time mm, you've done this, right? Yes, From, uh, yes. The audio engineering uh, technicals of it, the, the you know the the technicals of getting both of those interviews coming in simultaneously, cutting back and forth, and and with that, this is one of the first times we get to see a support officer's perspective in real time. And, you know, having been involved in several OISs myself and what you experienced on the OIS front, which for our listeners that don't know or viewers, that's officer-involved shootings, um, hearing from that officer if they're willing to talk about it is so beneficial for everybody, but also everyone that was around him or her that had to endure that tragedy and that crisis, that critical incident, and how we all work together to respond through it, what mistakes were made, if any, and how we learned and grew from it. So this is an incredibly exciting episode, the fact that we have both piped in. And, uh, you know, besides uh, the great interview we had with these guys, it's going to be really cool to see that episode of Northwoods Law and how their take on it airs. Absolutely. And, and the picture on the cover of this is very dynamic because it's, it's live. One of the camera crew actually took a photo, his personal photo, and it just shows in the distance Bob over Matt and working on him in the first few minutes of the scene with, with a guy in front. Uh, it looks like he's kneeling down and almost praying. Probably was praying. Um, so it's just a, it, it's quite the cover, I will say. It's uh, when I sent it to our producer, Jay, he was, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's dramatic. So, and, so if you guys don't see the cover, you know, reach out to Instagram, Facebook, and see if you can see that cover that we're talking about because it, it's worth taking the time to do that. We're going to roll into this podcast. Yeah, I am pretty proud of the, the audio engineering. Uh, in game wardens, that's not usually in their bag of tricks is audio engineering. And I have learned a lot <laughs> in the past uh, almost two years with, with podcasting. Uh, I never, if you told me, you know, two years before I was uh, getting done retired that I'd be podcasting, I would have told everybody they were nuts. And here I now am doing my own audio engineering and I'm no not even close to a professional. Let, let me know for the listeners if you, if you enjoyed it, if it was something different. I, I was pretty happy the way it came out because, you, you know, you hear Matt talk and then it transfers. All of a sudden Bob's voice pops up and he's talking about the same, the same time frame going through it uh, right to the end. We, we start with Matt with some, some other stories and uh, we end with Matt. So it's definitely part two of Matt Holmes, uh, but that that horrific incident for those guys that were involved talking to it, this just happened uh, June 13th. Matt starts off with, with his podcast, sure. giving us the date, June 13th of this year. So it's, it's very current. And thank you for listening to Warden's Watch. Hope you enjoy the show. So we're back, and Matt Holmes' crews are heading north after it awesome day 
uh, by shooting with youth and doing some shooting sports with them and learning quite a bit a lot about trap to be honest with you I'm certainly not any professional and I learned quite a bit today Matt actually from the kids and from some of the instructors that was that was a lot of fun as did I it was a good day doing something I think we all enjoyed and we can really appreciate uh, those kids marksmanship that was uh, just a dynamite day so we're on our way back north so we gotta we gotta wrap this podcast up you know how about this story Matt this is probably the one of the busiest days I've had that just comes to my mind it's a uh, Memorial Day, the day that you had a pursue. So me and Eric Fluett are out uh, checking licenses, and Eric had a no license, and he was writing a ticket, and I decide to walk across the, the, the trestle bridge there to the other side. And there's eight, it's an ATV trail there, so I'm sitting there, standing there, and I can hear this ATV or whatever coming. It is flying, and here comes this dirt bike, and he's got to be doing 70, 80 maybe, and zips by me like crazy and I'm like oh my goodness that guy was out of control and the next thing I look up and here comes I can hear this other ATV just coming too and I'm like wow this guy's really hauling butt too and all of a sudden I can see this little flashing blue light as you right by me (laughs) in pursuit (laughs) you looked bewildered if I recall I I was bewildered So that was a that was a good thing. So I see you take go going after him. So I start running. I run across the trestle and I, I yell to Fluet. I said, "We gotta go." And he said, "Wrap it up. We gotta go." And he's like, "Why?" He goes, uh, "Is that for the rescue on Mount Washington? The troop F just called you about." I'm like, "No, it's for the pursuit that Matt's in." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'm like they called me for a rescue." He's like, "Yeah, they called you for a rescue." So we got on the horn, got the local police involved, and got you some help, and then we headed off for a rescue on Mount Washington. That it was, uh, yeah, that day was just a calamity, uh, but uh, that was also one of the uh, few times that a scumbag has improved my day, um, <laughs> because uh, I got I got a lead on the guy, and I was following up on that lead as you and Eric and some other officers. We're getting called to a dead body that had just been found. Yeah. Well, simultaneously, a report was coming in of a guy shooting as he was walking up and down the hiking trail. Yes, and, and Mark Ober went to that. It was That was probably the craziest day <laughs> that I can remember so solid with, with things happening, like, all together then. That's right. Oh. Yeah, and the guy was ultimately caught. Uh, I couldn't prove the disobeying. Uh, that I knew was there, but uh, he got a uh, hefty speeding ticket, and uh, ultimately he knew that I knew. <laughs> it wasn't a home run, but uh, it wasn't a foul ball either. So. Yep, I'll never, I, I always remember being bewildered, because what, what timing here. <laughs> Decided to take a walk across the trestle, because right. Fluette, I don't want to be standing over them while he's writing a ticket, and then to run into uh, another officer in a pursuit that none of us knew was going on. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So ATVs, you've had uh, quite the experience with ATVs through your career, huh? I have. I've seen, you know, an evolution of off-road riding in New Hampshire, uh, like a lot of us have. Mm. Yeah, there uh, there have been some moments. You know, overall, ATVs are one of my big comfort zones. Stuff happens, and I know that firsthand. So. Yes, and you just as recently had an incident that... Uh, 
got a lot of press, and it's going to get a little more press in the future, too, for sure, because you had the Northwoods Law film crew with you, huh? I did. June 13th of uh, 2020, um, I just had a day which I don't know if it's a day of good luck or a day of bad luck. After 15 and a half years of working as a game warden, my card got drawn, and uh, I got hit at 60-plus miles an hour while doing speed enforcement on an ATV. Yeah, jeez. That, just backing up a little bit, there's some parts of that day that aren't known. I was uh, planning on working with the uh, film crew from Northwoods Law, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, it's come to be, you know, a really fun thing. We, We all, you know, generally work alone, and after five years of filming with the crew... Uh, it's like getting a chance to work with your buddies. So yeah. I was looking forward to that. And earlier that day, while I was headed to meet them, uh, I got a call about uh, a uh, a bear actively breaking into a chicken coop in Whitefield. So I was one town north. I swung around. I knew I just had to deal with it before I met the crew. I roll into this yard, and it's a large yard. And I look around, and I can see somebody standing uh, in the woods behind a chicken coop at the edge of the yard. And I I walk over uh, just in time to see a woman level off with a lever-action rifle. I holler to make my presence known. She is absolutely livid, swearing up a storm about the bear that just killed her chickens and how she's going to kill the effing thing and I, I told her, I said, I don't have a problem with that. I said, you're within your right to do it because of the proper damage. I said, but if it's a sow with cubs, if you kill the sow, we're going to have a whole nother uh, situation to deal with. Absolutely. And uh, she was wound for sound. And as I got close to her, I could see that the hammer was back on this rifle. So I started to basically dance around and... I said, can you please make that weapon safe so that we can have a a civil conversation? And in her angst and jitters, the rifle went off right into the ground in front of us. Uh, So we had basically this negligent discharge of a high-power rifle into the ground. My ears are ringing. She's talking like nothing ever happened. And I was very, very thankful to have gotten out of the way Uh, because she was swinging that rifle around as she's, you know, animating her desires, um, you know, just prior to this happening. So that kind of kicked off the day. Yeah. (laughs) Right after that, I met the film crew, and we immediately got called to uh, an ATV accident in a remote portion of Cambridge. And Cambridge is, uh, you know, a township in northern New Hampshire that, is not easy to get to from anywhere. No. And Eric Fluett and other officers were tied up. So we went, we started covering the the crash, which was a two-vehicle crash. There was a ton of traffic on the trail. Got through that, and we ended up in town Errol just to grab a bite to eat afterward. Seeing all the vehicles that were in town, I explained to the film crew, I'm like, you know, we, we don't have really enough time left in the day to bail back to my patrol said, and we don't want to leave activity to find activity. So what we're going to do is we're going to find a spot in between Errol and Berlin, which is a major north-south route, and we're going to set up and run radar because all these people are as far north as they're going to get. 
and they're going to be headed back. But now they're ready to be home, so they're going to be hauling. Mm. And we're going to be in the middle to police that. Once we'd uh, had a little lunch, uh, I called uh, Officer Bob Mancini, asked him if he was in the area. By that point in the day, he had come back to the area, and we agreed to meet uh, on Dummer Pond Road. Dummer Pond Road uh, is a shared access road. It's got all kinds of uh, conventional vehicle traffic as well as all kinds of off-road vehicle traffic. It had been freshly graded, and we knew it was going to be basically a drag strip. It would be a really good place to uh, work speed. So we met, we set up, uh, you know, the film crew uh, was there. They, they set up all their gear uh, to just kind of capture the moment of us doing our job. So uh, like any good plan, we had a plan. And uh, Matt and I met on Dummer Pond Road. Uh, we both offloaded our ATVs from our trucks. Uh, I had a nice um, radar gun. So I was preparing that, making sure it was tested and calibrated. And we had a spot picked out right on Dummer Pond Road. So we parked our trucks, offloaded the ATVs, and then went down and got into our hidey hole, which was a, a portion of Dummer Pond Road that's uh, posted at 25 miles an hour on both ends of the section of trail that we were on. Um, there's a there's a junction, a trail junction that was just west of us. I'm sorry, just east of us. And then uh, west of us was heading up towards Dummer Ponds. So we were running radar. It was a day like any other. Probably every tragedy begins in the same way. There was nothing you know, truly remarkable. Um, I was working the same spot I'd worked in the weekend before and uh, written some tickets. And th the set was good. You know, I had plenty of experience. Bob had plenty of experience. We were good to go. Shortly after setting up uh, with uh, stationary radar, we had uh, two side-by-sides come through. And the first one was at 64, and the second one was at 54 miles an hour. Posted speed limits 25. Uh, so these these riders are both well, well above the posted speed limit. And Bob uh, was roadside. I was tucked back in the trees. He motioned for them to pull over. And as soon as they'd gotten by, I pulled out as the chase vehicle. But before I pulled out, I looked down the road from the area they'd come, making sure there wasn't another vehicle. I didn't see one, so I continued out. Like much of the U.S. in 2020, we were experiencing really dry conditions, yep. and the dust was hanging super heavy in the air. Uh, I remember it, you know, pretty much like it was yesterday. It's June 13th, and it's it's in the evening at this point. It's probably sometime around like 5, 5.30. I have two machines. You can hear them coming in from a long ways off. They're coming from our west, traveling east on Dummer Pond Road. I hold up my radar gun and got the first guy at 65 miles an hour. And the way that the terrain is on the road, uh, the first guy was in my line of sight from my radar. And then because of the curvature in the road, he came out of my sight. And then the second machine came into the site, which that machine was traveling at 54. So the first two machines are 65 miles an hour, 54 miles an hour, sustained speed they're going. And I tell Matt to get ready. And I uh, went down the road about 80 yards, and the lead vehicle of the two had had swung around in the road and pulled over on the opposite lane of travel. 
at this point, Matt's ready. He's on his ATV, ready to go. Um, I'm out on the side of the trail now trying to flag these people down as they're going by. It's very dusty conditions. Uh, it was clear when they were oncoming because there wasn't any other traffic coming in the area. So I could see them clear as day. But as soon as the first one went by, a plume of dust went up in the air and visibility dropped significantly. I'm able to flag down the first operator. I, I can hear his machine kind of slow down and break off behind me. And I'm focusing on the second UTV now. And that, that UTV just goes right past me. Uh, so I, I run back to my machine Meanwhile, as I'm running back to my machine, Matt has pulled out onto, onto the second operator. I had my blue lights on. I pulled up next to him, and he knew the gig was up, and he was just looking for direction. So I gave him some short direction, something effective. Hey, meet me roadside, and we'll take care of this. About the time those words escaped my mouth. And I don't know this at the time. But as Matt pulls out and he travels just a short distance, he's speaking with the operator of the first machine. And they're basically window to window. Matt is off the side of the trail speaking with that operator, telling him it's dangerous and he's got to get out of the road. No sooner does that happen, a third machine comes at a high rate of speed. And I'm on my machine at this point, And I hear a skid and a, and a hard impact. I heard skidding, and it's a moment that I can still recall vividly. I had just enough time to look over my shoulder, see a red and white machine skidding at me, and the next thing I knew, I was lying in the middle of the road. I don't remember the collision, but I do remember lying in the road. And Followed by, help, help. At this point, I can't see anything, and all... All I'm doing is getting on my machine and, and not going super fast into you know the cloud because it's zero visibility. You can't see anything. I get my machine up into what I believe is the area. It's probably you know, 75 feet from me. And I see Matt lying in the middle of the trail. I see a red UTV uh, spun with the front caved in. And then I see another UTV just parked on the side of the road. And Matt's ATV is nowhere to be found. It's, it's gone. It disappeared. When I came to, my first thought was, I hope I didn't break my back. So I wiggled my fingers and toes, which I could do, which gave me some relief. The second thought was, can I breathe? So I consciously worked on breathing, which I could do. And my third thought was, I don't know where I am, but I know I'm lying in the middle of the road and I need to get out of here before I get hit by another vehicle. Mm. And my mind said, you need to crawl, uh, but my body was unable to do it. I physically could not move. So I just started yelling for help. And fortunately, uh, Bob Mancini had heard the crash. He came flying up on his ATV, jumped off, went and grabbed me under the arms and pulled me to the side of the road. But Matt's in the middle of the trail and there's so much dust. My, my first instinct was to just grab Matt and drag him out of the trail. You know, he's kind of writhing in pain. I knew he was injured. Um, I was more concerned that one of us or all of us were going to get hit by more oncoming traffic. So I grabbed Matt and dragged him out of the trail and tried to provide a little bit of aid, get him in a position of comfort. And, you know, immediately I requested the operator who turned out to be the first 
first UTV through at 65 miles an hour, I told him to go down to the next junction and not let anybody through. The operator that hit Matt, his machine was was damaged. The front was caved in. The roof was caved in to a degree. He was he had no choice but to stay because his machine was inoperable. I checked on him very briefly, but my main focus was those guys were the operator from the UTV that crashed into Matt. It was a him. It was a male operator and a female passenger. They were conscious, breathing, and alert, not complaining of any issues. So my focus went to my partner Matt. Once I was out of the road, um, I began to converse with him. And my recollection of events is uh, very short timelines. I remember certain things vividly. I remember, you know, having a conversation with him, telling him to call my wife and let her know I was okay. But it was going to be a while before I got home. And him taking my duty belt off because that was prohibiting me from lying flat. And I could feel pain all over, but I couldn't pinpoint it. I had, you know, people in my face talking with me and uh, things were just in and out. And I ended up getting uh, picked up uh, by uh, an ambulance, which I know they hustled. But because of where I was, it still took 45 minutes for them to get to me. Matt, I'm, I'm on the ground with Matt and I'm talking. And, you know, at first I think things are pretty minor in nature. He's, he's hurt but he's talking to me and he seems to be lucid. So I get on the radio and I, I try to get out on Troop F dispatch and I have a little bit of trouble. And I remember Sergeant Lucas actually telling me that um, if you ever can't get out on a repeater, try Berlin dispatch. The repeater in that area for whatever reason works really good. So I remembered that is just part of, you know, just instinct. I switch over to Berlin and I get on Berlin and I tell him what happened. A uh, fishing game officer was involved in a OHRV collision. Um, he's injured. Can I have an ambulance to my location? Uh, I'm on Dubber Pond Road. And I tell him that conscious breathing and alert, potential, you know, s- some potential serious injuries, but I don't know. So a bit of time goes by at this point. You know, it seems like things are going quick, but a little bit of time goes by. And three firefighters from the Gilmanton Fire Department show up. They're, they're also EMTs and maybe even have higher level of medical training than that. They come up and it was like a blessing. They're there. Probably within minutes, it seemed, it seemed longer to me, but I think it happened relatively soon. And they're there and they take over patient care. Uh, that right there for me was a big relief because we're trained at the first responder level as a conservation officer, we're providing aid to hikers mostly, and sometimes being a first responder for serious snow machine and ATV crashes. So you have a little bit of experience dealing with trauma, dealing with broken bones, uh, bleeding and all those things, but not really anything prepares you to deal with one of your best friends lying in the middle of the trail, writhing in pain. Unless you've experienced that before, you all the training in the world isn't going to really prepare you for that. It's just the human element. It's the personal element. Um, and again, I've been on a lot of different calls with Matt over the years, good, bad, um, happy, sad, whatever you want to call it. So for him to be hurt, that was bothering me because I, you know, I'm starting to question why wasn't I the contact officer? Why wasn't Matt running radar? This should have been me that got smashed on my ATV and not him. And those things are kind of going through my mind as I'm trying to reach out. 
and I got some notifications to make. I have to let dispatch know. I have to get an ambulance on the way. I have to notify our lieutenant or supervisor that you know one of our officers has been involved in a crash. I have to try to identify uh, the operator. I have to I try to identify the witnesses, and I'm doing those things. I'm checking the boxes. I do ultimately identify the operator of the machine that was doing 65 miles an hour past us. He was running. He was doing uh, traffic control. I was able to identify him. I was able to identify the second operator, the machine that ultimately I learned later actually fled the scene entirely and left altogether. They stopped and. Nine seconds after the crash, they pulled away and drove back to Gorham. So ultimately, I was able to uh, identify that individual. Obviously, I was able to identify the operator that hit Matt because he couldn't go anywhere. His machine was totaled. Was able to lock the operator of the machine that hit Matt into a statement where he said he was traveling over 55 miles an hour. Also, he was the one that identified the other two operators and that they were traveling in a group. So some of the investigation came together pretty early as far as me trying to identify who was responsible and, and hold it, being able to hold people accountable. But I didn't know that that second machine had fled until the following morning, which uh, that, that really made me a little, a little bit more upset because I, f- I felt like I kind of got hit, you know, hit while I was down. I can't go and chase a UTV even though I really want to when my buddy's lying hurt in the middle of the trail. Rest assured, if, he, if Matt wasn't, I would have been on my ATV and, and trying to catch up with that person. But things change, circumstances change when one of your own is hurt. That all happened really, really quick. But in the midst of trying to identify who was responsible, locking some statements down, the Gilmanton fire guys had said to me, we're, we're a little bit concerned about a head injury. He's starting to be repetitive. And so my call for an initial ambulance switched to, I requested uh, an air transport. And that was probably 10 or 15 minutes after the incident occurred. And again, while the Gilmanton um, emergency medical personnel were aiding, giving aid to Matt, they started having some concerns that things were a bit more serious than, than they initially appeared. And it was indicative of a head injury. So I had requested, um, an, a helicopter to come and ultimately Matt was transported by ambulance to the, my thought at that point was, uh, I just want to get evaluated and go home. Like I'm hurt, but I'm talking, I'm breathing, you know, give me an Advil and let me limp away from this. And, uh, I was uh, taken to a local area hospital. They took one look at me and said, uh, you know, the helicopter's on the way. We got to get you to a trauma center. To me, I knew that they had seen, you know, something serious in my condition. And secondly, I also knew that I wasn't going to be going home anytime soon. As luck would have it, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, which is uh, one of our premier medical centers in New Hampshire had both of its helicopters tied up on other things. Mm-hmm. And so they had a mutual aid call for a helicopter out of the University of Vermont, come down and pick me up in New Hampshire and fly me to Central Maine Medical Center, which is the nearest trauma center to where the crash happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was one of those. I've spent lots of time in a helicopter. I certainly didn't mind the ride. 
It's a little different when you're on it's your back. It's a little isn't different it? when you're on your back and you're listening to everything going on. Uh, they gave me some really high strength painkillers, which didn't do a whole heck of a lot. And as often happened post injury, that's when the pain really set in. It wasn't bad uh, at the beginning, but it really began to set in. And uh, I got rushed into the emergency room upon arriving in Maine. They performed a whole bunch of tests on me, uh, CT scans, x-rays, physical tests. I'm not a fan of needles, and I got stuck like a pin cushion. Mm. Pumped full of dye uh, so that they could try and determine whether I was bleeding internally or not. And very fortunately for me, I was not. Uh, But after all that, uh, aside from a a number of uh, cuts and scrapes and bruises, uh, I was found to have broken eight ribs and separated a shoulder. Andrew Scoggin Valley Hospital in Berlin and then was transported by Maine Med flight to uh, a Maine hospital, Southern Maine Medical, I believe, where he was, uh, you know, checked over from head to toe. We learned that he had a lot of broken ribs. Um, he had, you know, a shoulder injury and he definitely, as he put it, got his bell rung. Um, you know, his head, he, he did sustain some, some level of head trauma. Thank God it wasn't more serious in nature. It could have been far worse. When you, when I relive it, as I'm talking here, I think about had Matt simply been off his machine talking with the operator that was first speeding, he, he probably would be dead. Um, I think that of all the times that Matt and I work together, he's usually the one with the radar and I'm usually the chase vehicle. I think about, you know, why, why I didn't, um, let that kind of play out that way. But I got to, had to make several phone calls during this whole thing. I remember, um, finally getting to talk to Lieutenant Ober after trying him, he was out of service a little bit. And I ultimately told troop F, I said, if you can't get a hold of Lieutenant Ober, then contact the district three supervisor, Lieutenant Neal, and let him know what's going on. Uh, I just wanted somebody to know that I had, you know, I had an incident and I didn't really have a lot of time to, to talk and discuss it because my focus was again on Matt and then doing a solid foundation uh, for our investigation. Cause who knows if we're going to have people that are cooperative or uncooperative. So just trying to nail down the facts and circumstances around everything, take some photographs again, grab statements. But I was also able to speak with the Colonel very quickly. Our Colonel, uh, Colonel Kevin Jordan, he cares deeply about his officers and he's, he, I knew it right away. Like, even though we were in the midst of COVID, I've said, there's no, no doubt in my mind, wherever Matt ends up, the Colonel's going to be there. (laughs) And sure enough, our Colonel made a trip to Maine to check on Matt personally that night. Uh, That just, just goes to tell you how much, you know, the top cares about the field force. And it's nice to have that support knowing that, you know, you're going to have your, the boss, um, looking out for your best interests every day and that just getting that phone call. And I remember he said, let me know if you need anything, whatever you need, just let me know. And I I didn't need anything. Thankfully I had state police come in to help me out with the investigation for the, for the collision. We're able to nail down interviews and all of the phone calls and notifications had been made to include Matt's wife, Meredith. And that was the, probably the worst phone call that I, that I had to make because I could hear Matt's phone going off and I looked at it 
because I had gathered all of Matt's belongings, we had to take off a lot of his, you know, his gun belt and all those things secure him before he's transported into the ambulance. He had a lot of pins and medals and pens and other things, but amongst that was his phone and his wife Meredith called and Meredith and Matt, again, are both very close to me. Our, our kids go to the same daycare together. We see each other often. Uh, my kids wear some of the clothes that their kids have. It's a, it's a tight, it's a very tight knit group. Matt had said, Bob, why don't you tell Meredith what's going on? I was like, Matt, you think that's a good idea? And he goes, I, I want her to know. Usually with notifications, it's, it's usually somebody else that makes that notification, especially early on. I don't have a lot of answers for her, but I just, I asked if, you know, I picked it up and I said, Meredith, are you sitting down? And she's like, what's going on? I said, you know, Matt's been involved in a, in an OHRV crash. I, uh, he's, he's breathing, he's doing fine, but he's, he's injured. I don't know how bad it's going to be, but he's going to be going to the hospital, but don't, don't go anywhere. Somebody's going to come and pick you up. Don't drive anywhere. Just start making arrangements for, you know, the kids to get watched and I'll have somebody come and grab you. And so that's what happened. Uh, one of our officers, Chris Egan from up north, had made arrangements to pick up Meredith and, and bring her to Maine. But that's a tough call because I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I'm asking for a helicopter. There's a reason I'm asking for a helicopter, but I, I don't have an x-ray or an MRI or a CAT scan on the trail next to me. So I can only go off of what my gut's telling me is that he's going to be okay, just not sure of how serious it all is. And he did, he started getting repetitive towards the end and I started picking up on it. You know, what happened? Boy, I really got my bell rung. So what happened again? Uh, Matt, you got hit by a UTV. It was going really fast. Boy. I guess so. I don't remember all of the things that Matt said, but thank, thankfully there's a video of that, so someday people will get to see that. Ultimately, uh, I, I was just at the mercy of the hospital. Very fortunately, uh, you know, due to the profession we're in, a whole lot of things were in the works. Chris Egan, uh, who's our warden in Pittsburgh, had been given the green light to drive my wife to the hospital. Uh, because against my wishes, she was going to drive herself there anyway. I did get to see her. I get to see Colonel Jordan. I get to see Chris Egan. Just have some familiar faces around me in the ER, uh, which in 2020 was a, uh, a very difficult thing due to all the COVID issues. And mm. I, I was concerned because I thought that everybody present was going to have to spend the remainder of the evening sleeping in their vehicles. But Again, because of the uh, you know support that we enjoy through camaraderie in this line of work, uh, the Maine Warden Service Benevolent Association had already procured two hotel rooms and had a warden on hand as a liaison uh, to uh, you know my family and colleagues to help them out while I was incapacitated. So right off the bat, the uh, the level of support was unbelievable. Uh, I ended up spending the night in the hospital. Uh, my pain level increased dramatically. After being evaluated by doctors the, the following morning, I got discharged uh, from the hospital uh, about noon and got driven home. You know, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing leaving a hospital for anybody who's ever had to do it. 
And you and Matt have quite a history of incidents together. So I told Matt uh, one day we all of us got to sit down and talk about the Matt and Bob incidents. Yeah. Yeah. Getting left in dry river. Uh. <laughs> we got we got some good ones. You There's, got, you got yeah. some good ones. <laughs> I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that Matt ultimately was able to walk walk away from this and is going to be able to have a con- continue to have a storied career. Mm. He's he's okay. And Matt is probably one of the most genuine caring understanding people. He wasn't mad at the person that hit him. He was obviously disappointed in in that it happened, but he wasn't mad. He doesn't hold any grudges. Uh we did we were able to hold the two people that were speeding accountable. Um, they've since paid their fines. One of them was arrested for disobeying an officer and fleeing the scene. And speed, both operators were given summonses for speed. State police ultimately investigated the the actual collision, and charges are forthcoming for that operator. But for me, that Matt was able to be okay, and you know he's back to work. He missed a bit of the summer, but he's recovered from his injuries and. He still still loves it. In fact, he called me the other day and asked me if I wanted to run some radar on Dumber Pond Road, and I passed. <laughs> I said, I think, Matt, I will, I'll meet up with you somewhere, but it's not going to be on Dumber Pond Road. So uh, uh, I'm not ready for that quite yet. I don't know how it was in, in your incident, Wayne, but certainly in mine, you know, we train for all kinds of stuff, and we try and prepare, but you never think it's going to happen to you. I, I had done that sort of speed enforcement hundreds, if not thousands of times throughout yes. my career prior to that day. I, I was confident in what I was doing. I was confident in the way I was doing it. My card got drawn. And mm-hmm. it's, it is a, a very humbling thing to go from a healthy, functioning adult to a completely incapacitated mm-hmm you know, frail, injured person. And yep. uh, that, was no, patient. that was no fun at all. Yeah. Nope. I totally understand. Yeah. That's a, that's a heck of a story. I'm glad you're okay. And you pretty much were out the whole summer with those broken ribs, huh? I was. I um, had to go through uh, a number of uh, other appointments and tests following my discharge from the hospital. Uh, I went through physical therapy. I was ultimately laid up for two months and almost two months of the day. Uh, was cleared to return to uh, active duty. So it did use up the vast majority of my summer. Given how I felt right after it happened, I, you know, I feel thankful that it was only two months. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And two months, you know, during COVID, so everybody was staying home anyways and get a little time, extra time with your family. So I'm sure that was a good thing too. It was. Um, but I'm sure initially with your young kids trying to Keep them away from you with broken ribs had to be a challenge, didn't it, it, Matt? It was very difficult. So at the time of my crash, uh, my children were ages two and four. Mm. It's very difficult to explain to kids that age that you can't pick them up or you can't uh, yeah. bend down to put their shoes on. And, you know, there was there was some socialization that came with that for my family. Ultimately, we got through it. Yeah, just uh, in the recovery period the ability to be home with them you know just be around them on summer evenings uh was wonderful uh because it was something that 
<laughs> I would not have gotten right. a chance something, to something do Something game otherwise. wardens don't get to do often. <laughs> no. No, thanks for sharing that matter. We really appreciate that. And you bring up the Northwoods Log Crew, and uh, that's been a cool experience, huh? It has. So uh, it's uh, it's something uh, that I, I never, ever thought, you know, I'd do. It's become a very uh, interesting uh, facet to my career uh, working with them on the docu-series they've created through the program Northwoods Law. As far as I'm concerned, uh, it's such a special thing to have your career captured that way because whoever has the opportunity to see see their job, you know, in that light. In the years we've done it, we've had people retire, we've had people pass away. Like, so much happens in such a short amount of time. Yeah. To have, you know, have those moments captured the way they have been is uh, is very, very special. And I've been very thankful for the opportunities that it's created. Yeah, and, uh, and working, like you said, the film crew has become friends. It's kind of neat to have guys of their caliber and, and to, to work with them and to become friendly with them. And I've certainly enjoyed them as well. And they bring a whole different aspect to uh, the job, like you said. No, that's, that's really sweet. And uh, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, you know, riding along in your cruiser. I love when I do podcasts in a cruiser with a guy because you get the road noise, you get the radio squawking every now and then. It gives that uh, that listener kind of the feel of riding shotgun with you, Matt. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasure of riding shotgun with you a lot. I know I like to drive a lot when I was working. <laughs> I was a control freak for sure. And then I had the better riding cruiser too. <laughs> yeah. I understand. And now here we are. Yeah. But you were my, you were my favorite trainee by, by far. It was, uh, we had a really good time when you were training and yeah, we were, we had a lot of fun. Although Fluat was, he, he was right up there too. He's pretty, pretty entertaining. Even, even after he was a trinity, he's been pretty entertaining. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, this outfit hires characters of all yeah. sorts. And, yeah. Uh, all yeah. qual, high quality individuals with great personalities. And, uh, so I'm just glad all the listeners are clarified that you're not from Maine. That's right. Yeah. We've got that clarified. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's more stories than could ever be told in in one ride across New Hampshire. So yes. if the opportunity arises, we'll I hope do it so. again and, and tell a few and, more. And get Bob Mancini with you so we can talk about that uh, Bermuda Triangle of uh, Matt Holmes and Bob Mancini, too, because certainly you guys got some stories together. There there have been some stories, to say the least. Yes. So, well, well, stay tuned, and uh, thanks, thanks for listening to uh, the Warden's Watch podcast with... Uh, this week's uh, interview with Matt Holmes, Conservation Officer in New Hampshire. So thanks, Matt. My pleasure. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, 
And this is Warden's Watch.